And now, coming to you from an undisclosed location. It's the Novus Ordo Watch Trapcast. You've got to be kidding. You can't make the stuff up. The end is near. The end is near. I'm talking about the end of 2015, of course. And that means also the end of Season 1 of Trapcast. Welcome, by the way. Whether you meant to or not, you are now listening to Episode number 10 of Trapcast, produced by Novus Ordo Watch. I wish we'd been able to crank out more episodes, but for it being the first year, I'd say this wasn't too bad. You know, the way Tradcast is produced, I don't know, I think it's a bit like making sausage. The end result is great, but you really don't want to see it made. Anywho, so first of all, my apologies. I had pretty much promised to get you this episode a lot faster than it actually came, but sometimes things just don't go as planned, you know? Well, one reason why it's so hard to stick to a schedule these days, of course, is Francis. You just can't leave the guy unattended. Once he gets his jaw moving, there's just no telling what's going to come out. Did you hear the latest yet? I mean, the latest as of this Trapcast? Just a few days ago, on December 27th, no, you know what? Actually, for this one, we'll play our special jingle. One second. From the Jorge's mouth. There we go. Yeah, this one's so bad, it deserves its own little jingle. On December 27th, 2015, which was Holy Family Sunday in the Novus Ordo Church, Chaos Frank preached on the finding of our Lord in the temple. The scriptural passage is found in St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Here is what Francis said, and I'm using the official English translation from the Vatican website. Quote, Joseph and Mary in the company of Jesus go as pilgrims to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. At the end of that pilgrimage, 
Jesus returned to Nazareth and was obedient to his parents. This image also contains a beautiful teaching about our families. A pilgrimage does not end when we arrive at our destination, but when we return home and resume our everyday lives, putting into practice the spiritual fruits of our experience. We know what Jesus did on that occasion. Instead of returning home with his family, he stayed in Jerusalem in the temple, causing great distress to Mary and Joseph, who were unable to find him. Now listen to this. For this little escapade, Jesus probably had to beg forgiveness of his parents. The gospel doesn't say this, but I believe that we can presume it. Mary's question, moreover, contains a certain reproach, revealing the concern and anguish which she and Joseph felt. Returning home, Jesus surely remained close to them as a sign of his complete affection and obedience. Moments like these become part of the pilgrimage of each family. The Lord transforms the moments into opportunities to grow, to ask for and to receive forgiveness, to show love and obedience, unquote. This is blasphemy. This is blasphemy. You can read the sermon in full, in context, in English, or also in the Italian original. We have the links for you on our show page. Look for uh, Tradcast episode number 10 at tradcast.org. Blasphemy. That's what it is. Now, here's what St. Alphonsus, bishop, confessor, and doctor, had to say about this passage. Quote, It is certain that to a soul which loves God, there can be no greater pain than the fear of having displeased him. Therefore, in this sorrow alone did Mary complain, lovingly expostulating with Jesus after she had found him, Son, why hast thou done so to us? Thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. By these words, she had no idea of reproving Jesus, as heretics blasphemously assert, but only meant to express to him the grief proceeding from the greatest love she bore him, which she had experienced during his absence. It was not a rebuke, says Dennis the Carthusian, but a loving complaint." Unquote. The words of St. Alphonsus Liguri from his book, The Glories of Mary, and we've got that linked as well in our show notes. And by the way, in case you're not aware, this was by no means Francis's first blasphemy. He's got a whole laundry list of stuff. One particularly outrageous example from the past is uh, the joke he made in a book he co-authored with Rabbi Abraham Skorka his uh, Talmudic Jewish buddy from Argentina. This book, uh, I think it's called um, On Heaven and Earth. I think it's called On Heaven and Earth, yeah. Uh, th this was published in 2010. And in this book, he tells a joke in which the blessed crucifixion of our dear Lord Jesus Christ serves as the punchline. We'll give you the, all those links as well on tradcast.org. So, Jorge Bergoglio, Pope Francis, clearly a repeat offender as far as blasphemy is concerned. And honestly, how anyone can believe that this blaspheming apostate is the Pope of the Catholic Church is beyond me. 
But speaking of which, folks, we have put out a brand new video, which we encourage you to watch and share with as many people as possible. It's less than seven minutes long, and what the video does is address the question whether, if Sedevacantism is true, the gates of hell have prevailed. Because we hear that a lot, you know, a lot of people think that if Francis isn't the Pope, or at least if there hasn't been a Pope since Pius Twelfth, then that must mean that the gates of hell have prevailed. But really, is that true? What people need to understand is that the divine promise of our Lord wasn't that the chair of St. Peter would never be vacant, or vacant only for a certain maximum amount of time. No, the promise was that the chair of St. Peter would never fail. But if Francis is Pope, it has failed, that's for sure. So go ahead and uh, check out the video, especially if you believe that Francis is Pope. Because we point out what you are required per Catholic dogma to believe about Francis if you believe he's the Pope. The video is linked on our show page, and it is, again, entitled, Have the Gates of Hell Prevailed? So see what you think, and see if you can still affirm in good conscience that Francis is Pope after seeing this video. We also have an accompanying blog post to go with that video, which is substantial. It is entitled, Sedevacantism, have the gates of hell prevailed against the church. In that post, which has a lot more evidence than the video does, we take an in-depth look at the promise of our Lord given to St. Peter in Matthew 16, 18, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we then take uh, a look at how the Catholic Church understands this promise, what she teaches regarding it, and what she teaches is meant by the gates of hell. We also then show what the Church Fathers and the Church's approved theologians teach regarding the manifestation of the operation of error and mystery of iniquity prophesied in 2 Thessalonians 2, and how this can only be fulfilled if the papacy is temporarily suspended, if you will. In other words, only if the Pope is absent for a while can the operation of error do its evil work. And this is permitted and prophesied to happen by God himself. Because the papacy, since it is unfailing, will always and necessarily restrain the soul-destroying forces of evil. So the only way for them to succeed temporarily is for the chair of St. Peter to be taken out of the way for a short while. Now, this does not come from, from us, from Novus Ordo Watch. This isn't our thinking or research. This comes straight from the 19th century Cardinal Henry Edward Manning, who bases all of his research uh, on this, on the fathers of the church and a whole host of approved theologians over the centuries. In other words, he presents the mind of the church on this. Okay, so look for that link uh, as well in our show notes. Sedevacantism, have the gates of hell prevailed against the Catholic Church. 
So again, the chair of St. Peter can be vacant per Catholic doctrine, but it cannot fail. If Francis is Pope, it has failed. It's that simple. And the Novus Ordo Papacy's failure is so obvious now that even Michael Matt has noticed. Yeah, yeah, you know, the, the editor of The Remnant, Michael Matt? Yeah, recently he put out another one of those Remnant Forum videos where he talks to his buddy Chris Ferreira, where they both always straighten out their Pope and try to teach him the basics of Catholicism. Well, on December 19th, they published a Remnant Forum video with the title Vatican Scandals, an appeal to Pope Francis to stop the madness. You know, like he's going to stop because they ask him to. Anyway, at the 16 minute and 42 second mark, Michael Matt cannot hold it in any longer, and he blurts out that this religion and the Vatican is not the Catholic Church anymore. And then he asks Ferreira to tell him what it is. But here, listen to it for yourself straight from the video. Here it is. What is going on, Chris? How, how much more ridiculous can this come? Can this be? Can this go? And we continue to call it Catholic. This isn't the Catholic Church anymore. What is it? It's a massive, ongoing, now in its 50th year, fraud upon the faithful. A false religion being masqueraded as the Catholic religion. Uh, not in any official way, though. There you go. There you have it. Matt and Ferreira admit this is not the Catholic Church, but a false religion. Now, Ferreira being the lawyer that he is, of course had to throw in his little convenient cop-out that all this is not happening officially. You know, as in officially it's the Catholic Church, but unofficially it's the Whore of Babylon, or the Synagogue of Satan, or some heretical Protestant sect, or whatever. This is nuts. Not official, Mr. Ferreira, really? What we've been seeing since John the 23rd all happened inofficially? Vatican II, the New Mass, the 1983 Code of Canon Law, the 1992 Catechism, the 1993 Ecumenical Directory, the countless encyclicals, speeches, and other documents, the canonizations, the marriage annulment laws. What? All this was not official? Whom is he kidding? Now, Matt asks, how much more ridiculous can it get? Well, Mr. Matt, it will get as ridiculous as people like you are willing to let it get. Because it's people like you who are part of the problem. Because no matter what Francis does or says, and I do mean no matter what, you never draw any consequence from it. It doesn't make a hill of beans worth of a difference to you or your fellow recognized but resist friends, so why should Francis bother to change anything? He can say or do whatever he pleases because it is people like Michael Matt who will still acknowledge him as the Pope of the Catholic Church, and that is all Francis needs to stay in power, because all his power comes from people's belief that he is the head of the Roman Catholic Church. See, he doesn't care if people resist him. 
What matters is that they agree that he is the Pope. That and that alone gives him all his power. And that's why we've been saying, folks, dump Francis. Okay, we'll take a quick break now, and then we'll briefly talk some more about John Salza, Robert Sisko, and their new book, Against Sedevacantism. You are listening to Tratcast, the official, note well, Mr. Ferreira, official podcast of Novus Ordo Watch, where we bring you the real news about Francis, Otherwise, we'd be Michael Voris. Pope Francis talks like a pope, like the successor to St. Peter. Tradcast. Are you interested in truly Catholic radio programming, one that addresses not only the current crisis in the church and world, but also discusses literature, art, doctrine, spirituality, and current events? Then tune into member-supported Restoration Radio at www.restorationradionetwork.org. Restoration Radio, the network for the thinking Catholic. for EWTN, this ain't it. Trapcast. Welcome back. Glad you're still here. This is Tratcast number 10, second segment, and we are once again going to talk about the big bad book of bunk. John Salza and Robert Sisko were supposed to have published by now, but that's been postponed until at least January 6th, allegedly because the devil has interfered with the printing process. Which, of course, raises the question how they know it was a fallen angel, since there's been no declaration, but okay. Anyway, in the last episode of Tradcast, we began examining a two-hour interview of John Salza by Eric Gajewski, the so-called Tradcat Knight, who believes he is, or might be, the great Catholic monarch as he pays click farms in Bangladesh to give him hits, likes, and followers so he can brag about how influential he is. His website, the Tradcat Night blog, by the way, currently has 166,815,480 total page views as of December 30th. 10.07 p.m. Eastern Time, actually. Well, you've got to at least try to be specific, because I think this thing updates by the second. I don't know. You can take a look at uh, what it's at now as you're listening. But anyway, heaven knows why John Salza thought the Eric Gajewski show was a good venue for an interview, but 
Okay, he'll have a lot more to be embarrassed about once we're done demolishing the arguments in his new book. But uh, we are still going to comment more on his interview. I just haven't had the time to listen to and comment on more of it since the last Tradcast. So since I didn't want to leave you without at least one more Tradcast before the end of the year, we'll just have to skip it for this time. But... We definitely want to talk a little bit about the interesting endorsements Salsa and Cisco have been advertising on their webpage. Endorsements of their new book. You can find information about their book at their website, which is trueorfalsepope.com. And that's where you'll also find those endorsements. Now, we have put up a webpage to counter them at trueorfalsepopes.com. That's popes with an S at the end, plural. That will take you directly to our page. And that again is trueorfalsepopes.com. So who's endorsing their book? Salza has been making a big deal about these great theologians and other people who have given their thumbs up on this work. And if we take a look at the list... Here are the names that pop up. Now listen closely and see if you can detect a pattern. Christopher Ferreira, John Veneri, Michael Matt, Brian McCall, Tim Staples, Reverend Brian Harrison, OS, Father Francois Lenay, SSPX, Father Stephen Reuter, SSPX, Father Paul Robinson, SSPX, Robert Sungenis, and the foreword written by Bishop Bernard Fillet, SSPX. Well, that was a surprise, huh? Every single one of these people who have endorsed the book already held the position that said of accountism is false. These are basically their own people. John Salza and Robert Sisko are having their own people endorse their work. Well, whoop-de-doo. Now, contrast this, for example, with Father Anthony Ciccato's book against the New Mass, entitled Work of Human Hands, which received serious and fairly positive reviews even from people who are not state of a contest and some of whom disagreed with the author's liturgical position. That included Dr. Geoffrey Hull, Reverend Andrew Wadsworth, Reverend Alquin Reed, Reverend Matthias Auger, Dr. Stephen McInerney, and Brian Mershon. But these endorsements for Salza and Cisco's book, True or False Pope, are all from people who are already anti-set of a contest anyway, and we might add, for a large number of them, their livelihood depends on Francis being Pope. And while that doesn't mean that they can't endorse the book, it does put these endorsements into perspective and weakens them considerably. What makes an endorsement really meaningful is if you have your book peer-reviewed, especially by peers who are critical of your position. If they then say things like, this is challenging, or this is an important contribution, or this demands a response, or something along those lines, then that is a serious endorsement. But not anti-Sedevacantist saying hooray about a new book against Sedevacantism. I mean, come on. But 
Let's look at these endorsers a little more closely. Who do we have there? Chris Ferreira, Michael Matt, John Veneri, Brian McCall. Now, precisely what sort of theological credentials do these people bring to the table that would make their endorsements meaningful? Yeah, didn't think so. Then we have Tim Staples. Man, this kills me. Tim Staples is from the enemy camp. He's with Catholic Answers. Two years ago, the remnant and like-minded people were very upset at Tim Staples for the two Catholic Answers radio shows he did on what he called the rat trads, the radical traditionalists. And now these same people are using him to endorse their work? Ah, but it's against Sedevacantism, that's why. You see, even though Staples does not agree with Salzas and Sisko's theological position either, he does agree with them that the charlatans since 1958 have been true popes. Okay, so that endorsement, also not very convincing. Then the Reverend Brian Harrison. <laughs> yeah, well, we could do a whole show just on him. He believes Catholics worship the same God as Muslims. He also believes unlike Salza and Sisko, that Vatican II did not teach error on religious liberty. And some years ago, he wrote an article entitled White Smoke, Valid Pope, in which he argued that a heretical pope would govern the church validly but illicitly. He was so uninformed about theological matters that in that essay he even claimed that Pope Pius XII's temporary lifting of excommunications for papal elections meant that a heretic could be validly elected. So, the man is clueless, okay? So, exit Mr. Harrison. What else do we have here? Three SSPX priests? <laughs> yeah, of course they're going to endorse a book against Sedevacantism. Hello? Probably any book. Uh, Father Stephen Reuter was ordained in 2012, okay, a little more than three years ago, and he can't be older than 30, so that's not exactly a theological heavyweight there. Father Francois Lenay, okay, so at least he has been a priest for quite a while, and of course has also been anti-Sedevacantist for at least uh, a long time, probably from the very beginning. Father Paul Robinson, ordained in 2006, fine, but I don't know, nothing special there either. Then we have Robertson Janus. Now, his endorsement has mysteriously disappeared from the True or False Pope website, and we have since found out that it is not because he withdrew it. He did not withdraw his endorsement. Um, we'll leave our comments regarding Dr. Sengenis uh, for a later time. Lastly, the foreword was written by Bishop Fillet, Bishop Bernard Fillet, the Superior General of the Society of St. Pius X. Now, surely this endorsement must count for something, right? Well, not really, because same issue here, right? He's the head of the SSPX and obviously opposes Sedevacantism. So why wouldn't he endorse the book? And as far as theological expertise, well, to our knowledge, Fillet has not written a single theological work on any topic. 
and he's not known as a theologian, okay? And besides, it's his seminary that is the publisher of the book, the Saul Zancisco book. So, no, that's not an impressive endorsement either. So, all in all, there is really not a single really convincing endorsement of the book here. It's all just hot air. Imagine what Salza and Cisco would say if we, Sedevacantists, wrote a book defending Sedevacantism and then presented endorsements by Bishop Sanborn, Bishop Pavarunas, Father Chicada, Jerry Matatix, Tom Droleski, and Griff Ruby. Who would take that seriously? I mean, anyone can endorse a book. That's fine. But endorsements that are only by your own people are not very meaningful. But speaking of books, I'd like to encourage anyone listening right now who is sincerely and seriously interested in this debate on Sedevacantism to read the newly re-released book, Michael Davies, An Evaluation by John Daly. This work was originally published in 1989, and Michael Davies never responded to it, despite being urged to do so by a number of people. In 2015, author John Daly revised and expanded the book and has now released it again, free of charge. I repeat, free of charge, available online electronically, at our website with the link at tradcast.org. Again, look for episode number 10. So all you have to do is actually bother to read it. I forget, I think it's uh, roughly 580 or so pages. It is uh, an extremely thorough and serious, eye-opening and devastating evaluation of the work of Michael Davies. Not only does Mr. Daly refute Mr. Davies on all major points regarding Sedevacantism and a host of other issues, he also demonstrates that Davies was shockingly slipshod in his scholarship and dishonest in his argumentation and tactics. Daly takes no pleasure in pointing it out, and in fact he only does so because it is true, and it is important for people to know because Davies has been so influential, and one will barely find an English-speaking soul who considers himself a traditional Catholic and has not been influenced by Michael Davies in one way or another. And yes, Daly does also acknowledge that Davies has done a lot of good work as well. But when you're done reading this book, you'll have to agree that Michael Davies is finished. Davies passed away in 2004, so he had 15 years to respond to this powerful critique of him, but unfortunately, he chose not to. Get Michael Davies, an evaluation by John Daly for free in electronic format as a PDF file, or if you like, you can purchase a paperback copy through the link on our site at Tradcast. Org. The book is very informative on a number of traditionalist issues in general, and you can read it with great benefit even if you are not at all interested in the person of Michael Davies. 
In fact, daily answers a lot of the arguments we still hear today, including some from John Salza and Robert Sisko. So now you know what to read in the new year. And until the next Tratcast comes out, this, ladies and gentlemen, marks the end of Tratcast number 10 and the end of season one. We'll be back in January, God willing. So until then, have a happy new year and God bless you. <laughs>